When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by, well, just me. This will be an ad-free episode as it's the holidays and it's a bonus one where we don't have to worry about any advertisements and as such i'm your host patrick lyons and joining me today very special guest that doesn't have to hear about any of our great sponsors like DraftKings and strava craft coffee breckenridge brewery all that good stuff you might know him as the senior writer for fangraphs.com he was a writer for espn for nearly a decade he's a video game enthusiast and he was a contributor to one of those early websites that had people thinking outside the box doing some of those build games type called the baseball Think factory it was actually featured in the classic Lewis book moneyball uh it's not jason giambi but it is the next best thing it's dan zimborski how you doing buddy i'm doing well how are you today patrick pretty good when uh these people said no. I said, well, there's only one other possible guest I would love to have on the show. And it was you. And so thank you for, for returning my calls here. Yeah, you, you, you know, I'm very, very popular with with Rockies fans. <laughs> yes. <Yeah, so, laughs> we'll have to kind of boil all of that down and try to figure out, are you, a, you know, an antihero? Are you a villain? Uh, it remains to be seen. We'll, we'll sort of figure that out and, and let the audience be the judge. I'll say this. This is something that will maybe help fans connect with you a little bit more. You're a guy who is, is a part of the Cincinnati chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America, but you grew up in Baltimore. And so Rockies fans, Orioles fans, they definitely share a big thing in common, and that being the experience of having a larger fan base invade your stadium whenever that team comes to town. Yeah, there was always an awkwardness because anytime, even when the Orioles were playing well and drawing well, anytime like the Yankees were in town, there would be just as many Yankee fans as as Orioles fans. And that was always frustrating. Uh, Now, I grew up at a certain time that the rival of the Orioles wasn't the Yankees or the Red Sox. It was the Blue Jays. Uh, I was born in 78. So during my childhood, the Blue Jays were kind of the hated team. Uh, Cito Gaston still kind of, you know, have a quick reaction because of the all-star game in uh, Camden Yards, which I did get to go to uh, when he didn't use Musina, who was in the ninth inning uh, warming up at the bullpen. Uh, and I, I still have a slight grudge about that. You you begrudge Gaston more than Buck Showalter for not using Zach Britton? Which one is worse between the two? Well, I think Showalter's was just more <laughs> incompetence. Yeah. You know, that. Uh, 
I, 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 and now I'm thinking of Ubaldo Jimenez. You see, you guys got the good Ubaldo Jimenez years, we did. and the Orioles got the some of the other years, which were a lot less impressive. I, I'm still, I'm still, I know this is very off topic, but I'm still flabbergasted by that decision to, to have a pitcher who was not very good pitching just so that a save opportunity might happen. Ugh. Yeah, those are some of the interesting managerial decisions that that go on during crunch time. Do, do you think Buck's a good fit though in uh, in New York uh, as as the new Mets manager? Incidentally, seeing as though that was his last gig uh, with the Orioles, I think he's an okay fit. Uh, it, it's weird. I I think that if he wasn't employed by the Astros, the Mets would be a perfect Dusty Baker team, uh, simply because they do have they're one of those rosters that's kind of talented but kind of a mess and and one thing dusty always does well is taking over a veteran roster and getting their 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 crap together i think buck buck will be okay i'm not really sure he's really you know a modern manager in a way so this week we got we got to get to the rocky stuff now dan i'm sorry we, we, we'll <laughs> dig into it here uh but you had your zips projections for the rockies before we even dig into that you know, let people know a little bit about what Zips is. It's it's an acronym that's it's a play off of, of your name, of course, the Zimborski projection system. But it's a projection system and not a prediction. It isn't you saying, here's what I think is going to happen. It's, you know, the ZipBot 3000. I, I imagine that's what the computer you have somewhere in a garage that you, you push all these buttons and the ZipSpot figures out what's going to happen. But maybe you can let people know the difference between this projection system you have versus you making a singular prediction. Well, I'm always going to differ, but one of my goals when creating zips, uh, which is a computer projection system is I want kind of an objective assessment based on data. Uh, yeah. There are times where I disagree with it. Sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm wrong and I have specific reasons, but I don't think a projection system is as useful if I put the thumb on the numbers simply because it's, it's less useful for someone who's looking at this information because if if there was a projection and it was some data and some my opinion, you don't know where the data stops and my opinion starts. Uh, and you wouldn't know that for, you know, every player. And I project, you know, 2,500 guys a year. So that's kind of an unworkable solution. So I try to get as much information and as much kind of non-statistical information into the model as I can. But obviously, it's not going to be perfect. Projecting the future is very, very difficult. Um, an example I, I just used on another podcast was um, was uh, Tyler O'Neill of the Cardinals. Uh, yeah, he has his projection for four-point-something uh, war per season, but there's a lot we still don't know about his future. And the, his 10th percentile projection is 1.1 war, his 90th, which you know, was is nearly seven, and that's a huge spread. I mean, we're talking pretty big bars. Um, it's not a great marketing slogan, but I always say that uh, my goal with Zips is to be the least crappy way to predict the future available. That That's a great marketing slogan, I think. Yeah, the least yeah, crappy. Put that on the book. There. The least crappy. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true. Well, there's there's plenty of, of crappy projection systems and predictions that people make. I, I make them all the time as as well. But I love how you mentioned about the 10th percentile and 90th percentile because there is all of that variability when it comes to a player's season and say, hey, I think he's got some more ability that you could hope on and say he may become a superstar. And you know, I think all players, if they play to their 90th percentile, 
could work their way into at least one all-star game and for others, a hall of fame career. How do you determine, or, or is there a set number that your projections use? Is it the 50th percentile for some players? Is it closer to that 75th percentile? And then younger guys who don't have as much uh, data to, to go on and are a little bit more unproven. Is it closer to the 30th percentile? How does that work to figure out, where a player is going to land as far as his best and his worst. Uh, Zips, Zips uses the 50th percentile. Uh, now, minor leaguers are harder pre to predict, but they're also harder to predict both ways. Uh, they're also more likely to overperform uh, your 50th percentile than under. It's more, of an issue of ac it's more of an issue of accuracy rather than bias. You just have larger error bars around it. Uh, Zips uh, does not use kind of a set uh, bell curve distribution uh, Zips essentially is an exercise in non-parametric modeling, which means there's no assumed distribution of results. Uh, the results are derived from the large group of similar players that that players are are compared to. So Adam Dunn in the prime of his career would be compared to a different group of, of, of players than, uh, uh, say, Juan Pierre would be. Uh, and Zips derives the futures from players with similar baselines uh, and kind of, you know, then maps it out. And it, I always describe it kind of in terms of hurricane forecasting. Uh, when you're watching a hurricane, you see like a little graphic where the hurricane is in the Caribbean or the Pacific or somewhere, and you see kind of that, that big red cone going out for it. And that's kind of the same thing. You're, you're trying to pinpoint where a player is and then get a rough idea of where they're going. And a lot, there's a lot of, real world events that affect that there's a lot of just things you just can't possibly know uh and again hopefully you build something that works pretty well uh and zips works pretty well but i'm not going to you know make any crazy claims for its accuracy or anything on baseball reference they have something interesting called similar batters and, and you could find scroll down and, and find that and you can look like so if CJ Crone, for example, there are players that he's been similar to each and every year. There's players he's been similar to through age 31. And so you can actually look and play around and see, okay, reasonably, someone like Paul Sorrento, he was very similar to an age 31 season. Well, let's look and see what Paul Sorrento did in his age 32 season, because that can be part of the projection that you can make. That's realistic rather than saying, well, look how good CJ Chrome was in his first year in Colorado. Maybe now as a 32 year old, he'll be twice as good and he'll be the next Barry Bonds. That's, that's not reasonable. We don't, we don't really see, <laughs> you know, players modeling that kind of behavior, at least not in this, the PED era. It would be interesting though, if, if CJ Cron <laughs> became the next Barry Bonds, that'd be one of those very unlikely stories uh, that you saw. Uh, Zips uses uh, cluster analysis techniques. Uh, someone actually uh, reverse engineered what I do uh, using something called Malinobis distance. Uh, and uh, actually, if you search for Zimborski and Malinobis distance, you'll actually find a little thing on, on Git uh, that you could download some code to do it similarly. Uh, but, you know, yes, Zips compares Kron to a very large group of roughly similar players at similar portions of his career. So I'm just since you were talking, Kron, I actually opened it while you were talking. And uh, uh, Kron's best best comps are a bunch of guys like uh, Ivan Cruz, Richie Zisk, uh, Roy Smalley, Paul Sorrento, Darren Johnson, Paul Konerko, uh, other Frank Thomas, Jeff Conine, uh, J.T. Snow, Cecil Fielder, uh, Mike Epstein, Greg Brock, so on and so forth. Uh, because all we know about baseball 
is what's happened in baseball. You don't have experimental data on how players age. You can't you can't put things in a test tube and just observe a million years of a career. Uh, it's impossible, and I think the MLBPA would have a kind of a an objection to that, even if it was. So, I, I so Zips essentially just uses baseball history as its guide and hopes that baseball history, that history, if it doesn't rhyme, at least repeats or if, other way around. And well, as you said, I mean, there are names on there that people certainly would recognize like a, a Cecil Fielder and Paul Canerco and say, hey, wow, that would be great if CJ Chrome was that. But then there are also names on that list that were a couple of guys I hadn't heard of or didn't have very good MLB careers. And so there there just simply is that variability. And as you said, Zips just says, look, it's it's the 50th percentile. It's not. Uh, Dan Zimborski saying, you know what? I want the the Rockies fans to suffer a little bit more. So I'm going to predict this lower number as it were. It's, I don't want want you guys to suffer. In fact, one of the reasons I'm so (laughs) critical of the team is it should be a better team. Yeah. Uh, One of my biggest objection to the Rockies. And I've been saying this since like 2015, 2016, uh, that they did develop a lot of, young talent uh when you develop guys like you know arenado and, and later trevor story and actually figure out pitching and cores uh, at least starting pitching that that that's kind of the hard part to do is to find the stars uh i always felt that there was no reason at the time that the rockies couldn't be kind of like the mountain version of the cubs or astros uh from just a few years before and that they hadn't and I was very concerned at the time. And I even said my worry was that they just get a couple wildcard seasons and then just kind of fade from there. uh, Just from the way the team was run. Uh, I love going to Denver. It's, it's a great place. I love it. I I love the park and I do like, you know, fans of every team kind of getting an era of awesome. That's like theirs. And that's one reason I'm so critical of the Rockies because they don't get what goes on with the Rockies doesn't really get a lot of national attention. Really the Rockies and the Marlins. And I guess even like teams like the Orioles, you you just don't see a lot about them nationally. Uh, So I like to talk about, you know, things that not everyone is talking about. So I do make jokes. I do not think the team is well run currently, but I definitely want the Rockies to be a good team. My, my main objection is I just don't think, they will be consistently with ownership's current attitude. That that was something I wanted to bring up, this idea that there are folks within all 30 fan bases that say, oh, Zimborski, can you believe what he <laughs> said about my favorite player? So Even Orioles fans get mad at me. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you're right. Yeah, you you have said those things before that, look, their window of contention should have been a lot wider. And obviously, you know, not bringing back DJ LeMahieu was a big one, but if you would have kept Nolan Arenado around, and even if you didn't bring back Gray and Story, that's 19, uh, 2019, 2020, and 2021, that you could have had a good five-year window if you had made some of those better moves. So my, my question is, where do you think they went wrong as far as keeping this window of contention open for a longer period of time? Was it really just you know, spending $200 million on Desmond and, and that Super Bowl pen, or, or were there other little adjustments along the way that – you know, again, the leadership, you're right. I think there is a, possibly an, an issue with, with the culture right now in general. But there were the pieces there, despite these these cultural issues, that could have had a, a five-year window of contention rather than just these dink and dunks of, with the wild card. Where, where could they have improved? I, I think one they, – they could have been a little – 
I know it's a cynical thing, but it does advantage teams. And I felt they were they were very very conservative about trading talent during you know like the 2014 to 2016 kind of era when they had a lot of players with trade value that they never really exercised any trade value. And that's kind of what you saw again with with Trevor Story and John Gray. They'll get a pick for for Trevor Story. They'll get nothing for John Gray. And I, I think that, yeah, I mean, you do want to put a good product on the field and be loyal to your players. But players do know, like, the realities of baseball. And you add some additional talent in those years. And maybe you're not in a situation where the Rockies are almost completely devoid of that second-tier talent that kind of supports the few superstars. Uh, in, in recent years, if you look at it, uh, Colorado's superstars have ranked, like, like you know, Marquez and, and Arenado and Story. They, if you just look at, like, the top three, like, war on a team, the Rockies rank very well. But what happens is when you look at the lesser players, the Rockies have generally ranked at the bottom of the league because they just haven't done a good job finding secondary talent. And that's where the uh, the misspending kind of comes, kind of really hits you because they spent a lot of money on on, on players that, for better for a better description, just weren't very good. I mean, uh, you're talking something over $200 million, and they got negative war from the players signed from that. Uh, and that's – you can buy a lot of talent if you shop well uh, with, with that kind of money. And my other complaint is sometimes they're just not interested in some of these fringe guys. Uh, I think Mike Talkman is a good example of that. Mike Talkman was never going to be a star, but he was interesting. And the Rockies showed very little interest in seeing what he could do. They brought him up just for a cup of coffee in 2017, 2018. Didn't really give him much time at all. And they just did not seem all that interested in what he could do. Uh, that's the kind of thing that teams like the Dodgers and the Rays, two wildly different teams uh, from a, a payroll standpoint, those are things that those teams do really well. Uh, they actually look at these guys. but the Rockies largely don't. So you see, you know, Murphy going to Seattle and, and being useful there. And these are kind of players who aren't necessarily going to make your team a 95 win team, but they do provide support for the stars that that's those second and third tier players, the role players. And that's important to building a team. It's really not just getting those bigger free agents wrong. It's to your point that the players that should be supplementing them, at the bottom of the roster, those league minimum guys, the the young players, they weren't getting it done either. So you you were wrong on on both ends, and you need that depth. You need to have contributions and and have some of those role players that sure, Tom Murphy, Mike Talkman, they're not superstar players, and they they certainly might not make an all star team ever. But yet having them on your bench as the twenty third, twenty fourth player, whatever it is, is incredibly valuable. And, and you're right about the, the trade deadline business because I had to go back all the way to July 2013, the last time that the Rockies, before they had dealt away Michael Givens at, at this most recent trade deadline, that was the last time that they had traded away a veteran in a losing season. So they didn't do it in 14. Uh, I think 15 was the season that the Jorge De La Rosa trade was blocked to uh, the Orioles for Eduardo Rodriguez, right? And ultimately Baltimore ended up getting Andrew Miller from, from Boston. So that was blocked by Dick Monford, reportedly by Peter Gammons, 15, 16, you got nothing at the trade deadline. And that's where you could supplement 
and, you know, add some depth and some quality ball players. You know, Gerardo Parra is one of those guys that, you know, for those that are, that were paying attention to the Rockies know that, okay, yeah, they had to pay him like a free agent, but he provided that depth and was one of those like, okay, he might only be league average, but there's a lot of value in that when you don't have a league average replacement coming up through the minors. And that's really what CJ Crone was this past year. And you, you mentioned that in your articles on, on fan graphs, which we'll go ahead and link to this podcast description. But CJ Crone was a league average first baseman. And guess what? That that can actually have a lot of valuable value to a lot of teams, in particular the Rockies right now. Yeah, and I like the Crone signing. Uh, I, I do tend to think that average-ish first basemen are kind of undervalued around baseball right yeah. now. Uh, I I you know, Crone, you don't want Crone to be the best player in your offense. And that's kind of a problem. But if the Rockies had kind of a CJ Crone at more positions, when you look at the late 2010s, I think that their fortunes would have been a lot better. Uh, and, you know, with more wins, maybe they have more of a reason to hang on to Nolan Arenado. Uh, those kind of things can change the history of a team. We talked about making trades for veterans and uh, improving you know, for the future when you're not contending right now, the organization seems to think that, Hey, if everything goes well, basically they're, they're think they're looking at zips at your projections. I think Dan, they're saying, Hey, if every single player on our roster plays at their 90th percentile, we will make the postseason, And that's probably true for just about every team, but that's yeah. not realistic, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's not realistic, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> Uh, unless unless you're like the Red Sox rotation this year, because they, they did a really good job beating their projections. I, I, I do think that one of the things is the organization is salvageable. Uh, I, I don't want to sound like I'm at the Zoom forever, but I think that if ownership uh, made a concerted, you know, commitment to, you know, kind of taking a back role in kind of the philosophy around the team, I think you could bring in, you know, interesting GM candidates. I think that it's a fascinating problem to to uh, make a quality, I don't want to say dynasty, but consistent winner in Colorado. Uh, I I think you can attract people out there. It's it's it, again, it's a great place to live. Uh, I, I always love every time I visit out there. I have one one of my best friends lives out there, so I I get out there from time to time. You could turn this organization around, I wouldn't say quickly, but probably in a speed that would surprise someone if you just have the right philosophy in place, because it it isn't like they have don't have good people in the organization. Uh, I know I rag on them a lot, but I, I do have a lot of respect for some of the analytics guys that they've quietly brought on uh, this year. I also had respect for the old one, and there was some stories about that, but th- th- this can be done. Yeah, Scott Van Lenten, a guy from the Nationals that that they brought in, uh, taking over that analytics department. That that definitely looks promising. And you know the the lower levels of the minor league system right now have definitely been bolstered by some good draft picks uh, by now GM Bill Schmidt. Of course, he was you know running the draft before he was the interim GM and then full time GM. And so the lower levels of the minors are are on the come up, and you can see maybe that window for contention to pop up here in the next you know, maybe three to five years if all goes well in their development. So outside of Hermen Marquez, Dan, which players do you think might have the most trade value for the Rockies? If they were to, I'm not going to say totally rebuild, but if they were looking to say, look, let's at least see if we can add a couple pieces 
for the future Rockies in, in 2024, 25, whatever that may be, who either according to zips or, or otherwise, do you think, you know, other teams would really be interested in listening on from the Rockies uh, on this roster? Well, Mark Marquez, of course, as you mentioned, he's by far the, the player with the most trade value. They yeah. could get a lot from Marquez if they traded him. I don't think they will, but 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 they could. Uh, I think if Ryan McMahon has a good season, there's a lot of interest that he could have because teams may still be interested in him. Uh, I mean, he plays second and third uh, competently. I mean, he's not going to win a gold glove at either position, honestly, but but he is an interesting player and, and one of their best trade chips in the right scenario. Uh, obviously I don't think they're going to trade Sensatella after extending him, but, but, you know, you could also say what, you know, Kyle Freeland, if Kyle Freeland is still solid in 2021 uh, and healthy, I, I think he is someone you could get some real talent back for. Uh, I mean, right now, I believe he's two years still free agency. I'm going off the top of my head. You're right. Uh, but, you you can do better trading a player at the deadline when they have the the two months left for the season and the bonus year. Uh, it's just teams like to get more if they're going to give up talent. Um, I think outside of that though, there's not a lot of great trade value guys on the Rockies right now. To me, because the the major league roster just isn't. Let's just say it's not stacked at the moment. People would probably be. Not going to say upset. Well, there are going to be some. There's always people that are going to be upset. But trading Kyle Freeland, you say, what? You can't. He's Colorado born and raised. And here he is, you know, getting some Cy Young Award votes in 2018. Hey, he can resign after 2023. That's true. But but that that's ultimately where I'm going with this is that as upsetting as that might sound to go, you, he's the last guy you feel like you can trade. Well, we all thought that about John Gray the last couple of years. And here we are now with zero compensation for John Gray. He just goes to Texas for four years, $56 million, and you have nothing to show for that. And that obviously stings. And so if that's going to happen again with Kyle Freeland, or even if you just get a compensation pick because you put a qualifying offer on him, who knows what's going to happen? Because, you know, just because you give a guy a qualifying offer doesn't mean he's going to reject it. And therefore you get the compensation pick. You know, he could accept it if he's coming off of a, of a bad year. So if you're not going to re-sign Kyle Freeland, you might as well trade him for something in the future. And that, you know, that can be upsetting to hear. But the reality is if, if you want to win a championship, sometimes you have to make those kind of difficult decisions. Yeah, I tend to think that when you're not a good team, you have to kind of evaluate decisions and whether does this help us win now? Does this help us win later? And if neither helps you win and get to the playoffs in one of those, it has to do the other thing. I mean, the Rockies could surprise. They could, you know, win 79 games this year or something. Uh, but it still wouldn't be a good team. So winning now, you do have to, you know, deprioritize it if you could do something that helps you win later. Uh, but, and yeah, you can build, eventually build your organization so they can both win now or win later. But you tend to have to do one of those things first before you can worry about the other. You can't really start them both simultaneously. The Dodgers didn't. The Rays didn't. Uh, and I think you look at the roster and say, is there a good chance that the Rockies can win now with Kyle Freeland? And I have to say no. Not because there's anything wrong with Kyle Freeland, simply because I think the team is just too weak as currently constructed. 
Uh, so you have to kind of look long term. And yeah, it, it sucks to give up guys who like being on the team, but it's also part of the game. And if everybody else is going to do it, you're essentially handicapping yourself. One of the players that is on the upswing and you say in, in your article and, and fan graphs about the Rockies that the one with the true breakout potential, and we did get to finally see it in 2021 was Brendan Rogers. I think the zips projections essentially have him doing the exact same thing as he did last year. And, and I think probably a lot of that has to do with, again, he's been so hurt. There was no minor league season in 2020. So it's harder to figure out where his median season, he can definitely take steps forward next year. And then, you know, we're, we could be sitting here talking in 2022 and his projections for the 2023 season will be even further through the roof. But right now they look somewhat similar to what, you know, they were last year at this point. Yeah, obviously, when I talk about trade value, Brendan Rodgers has trade value, but I didn't really consider him simply because sure. he's 25 and he's someone that you actually keep yeah. uh, even in a real even in a rebuilding scenario. Uh, but I mean, it was nice to see him have a healthy season, but. Yeah, 2020 was really hard for a lot of high-level prospects that didn't have quite as much time to develop as someone in A-ball. Yeah, I mean, for a guy, an 18-year-old in, 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 in rookie league ball, missing a season's a big deal, but it's harder when you're, you're 23, 24, 25, and you're trying to break into the majors. Uh, the Orioles had this problem with some of their starting pictures. They had a lot of guys who needed AAA time in 2020, and their choice was either to have them throw them into the majors before they were ready or have them not play real games at all in 2020. Uh, the, the Cardinals had this same kind of uh, dilemma with Dylan Carlson uh, where they might not have normally wanted him to, to play as, as much as he did in 2020, but there was no triple a Memphis to play on that, that year. Uh, and so that obviously hurt Rogers as has, as have the injuries. Uh, but I, he is someone I do think has a decent chance to beat his projection simply because there are some factors that are, are hard to, to really capture in numbers uh, such as the injuries and the lost season. 2020 was kind of a mess for a lot of reasons. Uh, probably the, the least significant society for society is it made projections a lot more difficult. Hey man, this, my job is the Rockies. That's the only thing that's important <laughs> from 2020. That's the only thing I'm thinking about. I like that you said that beat projections, right? So when the projections come out from the zips bot 3000, but is that the official name or did I just trademark that? You can use I, it. If you need I, to. I, okay. I, I just call it zips. It's just, <laughs> and I wouldn't put it in my garage either. There's a lot of spiders in the garage and moisture. That's, 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 that's not a great computing environment. As you talked about, beating those projections and whatnot, when you, when those projections do come out, do you look at them and say, Oh, you know what? I think it'll be a little bit higher for this guy. I might be a little bit lower. Do you make those kind of small predictions? And if so, you know, who else from the Rockies maybe are, could be a little bit high, could be a little bit low. Uh, I, I think it's still, we're still trying to figure out how to, how to evaluate Ryan McMahon because he was kind of, let's just say, I don't think his transition to the majors was handled very well he was kind of in a position where he had to kind of get tossed around from position to position from the minors to the majors. And uh, it's hard to say what kind of effect that had on his development. Uh, so he's a player who could be better. And I, I still think maybe Charlie Blackman has one last good season in him. 
the the power decline has been more than you would expect for a player his age. So maybe he has a resurgent season in, in 2022. It's a possibility that's out there. Yeah, I, I like that prediction. I think that makes a lot of sense. That's one of the reasons why I, I'm not in favor of Brendan Rodgers moving over to shortstop, seeing as though McMahon got bounced around to various positions, and we understand why, but we haven't really seen him take those big leaps forward that we keep to ex- keep expecting each and every year. And so for Rodgers, keep him at second. He'll be all right. Obviously, the offseason's not over, Dan. What do you think would happen to you know Zip's projections which again, I, I, the Rockies aren't going to go and sign Carlos Correa and Freddie Freeman and Nicholas Castellanos, all those guys. But you know, if they were to add some more of those league average type players, maybe at shortstop they upgrade from what they you know currently have in the projections, so they get Jose Iglesias or Angelton Simmons, or in the outfield Jorge Soler, Kyle Schwarber, something like that. How much do you think that might move the needle on their projected win loss record? I think that with the with the right set of signings, you could probably get the Rockies in the uh, shouting distance of 500. Uh, but the question, of course, you run into is: Would that be good for this for the organization long term? Uh, I know it sounds mean, but I've I've been of the opinion that a really bad season would be a good thing for the Rockies long term, simply because it might uh, result in a reevaluation of how the team is the team's general philosophy of player acquisition and usage uh but you know theoretically speaking i think uh well by the time the cba is signed we'll know if if mlb is going to have an nldh in 2022 and if that happens you know it it might be fun to have nick nick castellanos out there maybe they're not going to pay for him uh, obviously the dream at that situation would be uh put cron at dh and 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 swipe Freddie Freeman out from any chance of resigning <laughs> with the Braves. Uh, it, it's probably not as likely, but you know, if, if, if you can sign, say, you know, say Kyle Schwerber or maybe like a one-year deal from Nelson Cruz, uh, get a couple interesting relievers, get, you know, Colin McHugh and Ryan Tapera, maybe I think there are, you can get the team to a position where 500 is not an unrealistic number. Uh, because one of the advantages of having a team that has very specific holes is that you get larger upgrades from upgrades. Uh, a team like the Cardinals is very solid, but they're also hard to upgrade. Uh, when when every player is kind of averageish, like their lineup is, every player is kind of averageish or better. You can't upgrade with an average player. You can upgrade the Rockies with average players. Again, that goes back to that whole idea about depth and you know who's coming off your bench who's coming up from triple a albuquerque and can they fill in in a, in a spot in in a pinch and and contribute in that way because that can be you know the difference of a couple wins here and there and to your point you know i, I really do agree with that that idea and it, and it it sounds strange to say hey maybe with a little bit of misery and a really bad season that could have a couple folks rethinking their strategy and 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 the culture of this organization and, and improve it going forward. But at the same time, I know that that's happened before where they've had those really down seasons, you know, from 2010 through 2016, that was, that was seven years of, you know, no postseason and not really sniffing at it, you know, deep into the year. And yet some things change. And, and I think that's good, right? Like it's the Jeff Breidich era will be forever interesting. Cause obviously there were those missteps, but he was at the helm for, 
consecutive postseasons. And and so I'd, I'd be curious of your take on on Jeff Breidich. Obviously, there were uh, a lot of big missteps. You can't put yourself in a situation where you're trading away a future Hall of Famer because you can't get along with him. But at the same time, you know he he does deserve a lot of credit for 2017 and 2018. Yeah, um, my. The thing about about Breidich is he was very good at running minor league baseball operations, and and uh, he was the director of player development for several years. I think that was probably the best role for him uh, because they did develop talent. The problem was turning that talent in the minors into a good major league team, and that was something he had str- he struggled with. Now, obviously, ownership sh- uh, shares some responsibility. Uh, because in the end, you know, he who has the gold ha- calls the, the rules. I kind of just butchered the, the variant <laughs> of the golden rule. Uh, I get but, it. It makes sense. It works. But uh, I, I think you want to have people in, in jobs that they're suited for. I would not be suited for a GM job uh, temperamentally. So a team should not hire me ever to be a GM. Uh, not that it would happen, but... Anyone listening, do not make me your GM. It would be a bad idea. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I do some things in baseball very well. And I think that you don't necessarily need to have like a ladder of promotion where the, G, the your next GM is just the next guy in the pecking order, which is kind of how Breitich got there in the first place. There was like an order of succession, like 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 the like like the president. Thankfully, no one got assassinated for that to, to happen. But you're right. There, there is that succession. Jeff Breidich, do you think he works in MLB again? I know that's a hard thing to, to kind of predict. But again, smart guy, as you said, player development. We, we know what he was able to do and, and cultivate that great minor league system that we saw come up in, in 16, 17, 18, all that. So does, does he think he'll get a job in behind the scenes for the most part somewhere in MLB at some point? Ruben Amaro did. So did Chuck Lamar, who did not do a good job uh, running the Rays. Uh, there's always there's always a role for uh, baseball guys. I mean, Dave Littlefield has actually well respected as 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 a supporting member rather than running the show, as he did in Pittsburgh under you know the the Nuttings and McClatchy. Uh, I, I I do think that he can get a job in baseball. I don't think he's done anything that would necessarily burn bridges long term. Uh, yeah, I mean, he took a couple shots at writers, but nobody in baseball cares if, if you take a shot at a writer. That's fun. That's part of the game. He's he's a good heel in that way. He was a perfect heel in, in Colorado, which leads me to my final question. It's a big one. I got to put you on the hot seat, Dan, right? Because people are expecting me to really come at you hard. So I got it right now. Who is your favorite wrestler of all time? It it's depressing, but I love Chris Benoit during his career. Oh, and as nice. horrifying as it was, I mean, he was my favorite wrestler up until that point. And wow, uh, and yeah, the, the uh, what what he did was absolutely horrifying. Uh, now, obviously, we know that uh, from his his father donating his brain uh, to I believe West Virginia University, where they they examined it, uh, and they found that he had you know the same chromatic uh, chronic. CTE, uh, I, I I can never pronounce uh, the, the the medical term, uh, and that was there was a tragedy and you know a horror rolled into one, but he was my favorite wrestler. I loved watching him. I loved, I loved, uh, you know, watching him in the Super J Cup uh, when you know he was he was Wild Pegasus. I loved the some of the ECW matches. He was a great wrestler, uh, but 
just I mean the horrifying end was you know just terrible. I I had trouble watching wrestling for about a year after that. We don't talk about he doesn't get talked about a lot, obviously. So he's not fresh in people's minds, but like he was an, an active player. Like he he was, you know, he was he was the champ, not not far, I think, before you know the the incident. So it's like he was he was in the middle of everything. It wasn't that his career had flamed out and then as you said, this horrific incident ends up occurring. He was in the middle of it. And yeah, I, I don't hear too many people still talking about Benoit like that. And obviously because it's, it's so super complicated, but yeah, he was, he right. He, he was an amazing wrestler in those, like you said, the super J cup matches you go back and watch. And it's, it's interesting seeing him in a mask. It's always interesting seeing someone who for the majority of their career didn't wear a mask wear a mask at, at part of their career. It's, it's a good character builder, I think, in a way. He, he was a fun wrestler because he understood the psychology of a wrestling match so well. He could tell a story in a matchup without, you know, the, the, the set things and, you know, the, re- the referee taking a bump and, and, all, and all that, that nonsense. Uh, he, he made it a good physical story about a fight, which was a lot of fun. Uh, another one of my absolute favorites is Eddie Guerrero. Uh, another, another sad end, but not quite as horrifying just compared to Benoit, uh, it, it, it it's really tragic because there's so many early deaths in in wrestling and so many talented guys. You could just name them all day. You know, Brian Pillman. Uh, I mean, you could just go down that list uh, for the people who are injured, the people who died. Uh, there's there's a lot of tragedy in in that that uh, entertainment. That Dark Side of the Ring episode where it it was it was Benoit and Eddie. Right there. I mean, that must have been again when you watch Dark Side of the the Ring, you know sixty uh, percent maybe of what goes on, depending on how deep you've dug. But to then like kind of see it on film, the way they do it with all the shadows and stuff, I think it it took it to another level. I imagine you have watched that episode at this yeah. point. Yeah, uh, and it's I haven't been able to watch uh, WrestleMania twenty since all this because that WrestleMania twenty was kind of like the Eddie and Benoit show. You know, they both won. The, the titles you know you had them hug at the end it was it, it, it's hard to see i think i'll watch it again someday but it, it it was it was rough yeah that's that is wild the symmetry of of those two guys coming together like that and in, in, in such a way so dan i appreciate all your time and you you're welcome to come on at at any point if you need to make any public service <laughs> announcements to rockies fans and in, in colorado you're welcome back in in denver how about this i know you're you're kind of a big foodie right yeah, I yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a fat guy who likes food. It's very stereotypical. You said it, not me. You're a foodie in my book. What do you have a favorite place in Denver? Maybe that's a good way to win win the hearts of, of Rockies fans a little bit here. I, I don't have a favorite place in, in Denver simply because I'm with my friend who is not a foodie. <laughs> so we mostly just go out and get stoned and drinking. <laughs> well, there so you go. I, I don't think I've been to any of the of the really like you know, high end uh, uh, restaurants in Denver. You know, places like uh, uh, Bla- uh, what's that? Uh, Avanti. Jose Josea from Top Chef. Black Belly, Black Belly. And okay. you know, there's there's a lot of you know great places to eat that I haven't gotten to do really in Denver because I mostly just I go to a, I go to a baseball game or two. I I drink probably more than I should because my friend is an old drinking friend of mine. Uh, so I don't have great. 
if if someone wants to give me some Denver recommendations uh, got, for next time there, I got oh. a great sports bar has fantastic burgers and nachos. It's on the corner of Colfax and York. It's called the DNVR Bar. It's fantastic. You're welcome to come at any time. They got Breckenridge Brewery on tap. It's amazing. Okay, I will. I will note that down. I I, I probably did eat somewhere interesting, but. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of a browning out when you've gone out drinking with an old friend to, to steal the it's always sunny term. You may you may have eaten at a local uh, Mexican eatery that was established in Denver. You may have heard of it. it's called Chipotle. So that's that's a Denver oh, I, I don't, I, there. Yeah, I get I kind of get I, I can't really do mass market Tex-Mex. That is like terrible for my stomach. You know, Taco Bell, Chipotle, uh, uh, Qdoba. I've never had a good reaction to those places stomach wise. Uh, I'm not, I'm not 20 anymore where I can, I could just, I could just shove everything down the gullet and everything would be okay. Uh, aging has had that effect on me. Yep. You're, you're at your uh, 30th percentile right now, as far as going out and doing that thing. Uh, it's just going to get worse too. <laughs> Dan, this has been a lot of fun. I, I really appreciate you coming on and taking this time. If you're not already following him on Twitter, uh, he's at D Zimborski. Zimborski spelled exactly as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Google will fix it. That's the thing. Thank uh, you, Google. I mean, I at ESPN, I, I had people get my first name wrong more than my last name. Dan, really? Yeah, they got Zimborski, but I get Daved a lot. You get Daved. I like that's a verb. I'm like one of the uh, the top searches on Google for Dave Zaborski. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Dave, we appreciate you joining us today. Uh, again, make sure you're checking out all of his work on FanGraphs. And hey, it's it's a free website. Don't forget. So support them. You can become a member. Uh, you get some some ad free options for five dollars a month because hey, they got to pay the bills over there for their amazing staff of writers. So make sure you're supporting FanGraphs as well. Uh, and supporting all of us over here at the dnvr.com 50 cents for your first month sorry i had to slide that ad in there but i hope everyone has a, a happy new year there'll be a good one in 2022 uh, we should get baseball back at some point if not we still have the kbo we still have npb and uh we'll we'll figure out a way to, to get through this so for dnvr sports he's dan zimborski i'm patrick lines thanks for tuning in to the dnvr rockies podcast <laughs>